Well, good morning. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors here at Alpine. It's great to see you all here this morning. And what strikes me about the book of Jonah, and especially this last chapter in chapter 4, is that there are way too many stories growing up about Jonah in the whale and no stories about Jonah under the gourd. Seriously, have you ever seen a Bible story about Jonah under the gourd? And yet, the gourd plays just a big a part in the story of Jonah, maybe even bigger than the great fish. And God uses both of these, and a storm, and a worm, and the sun, to get Jonah to see that he had a heart attitude that needed to change. Even though he had the head knowledge of who God was, his heart didn't line up with God. It didn't agree. It shouldn't be a great surprise that God uses his creation to try to get a point across. He did the same with a donkey previously and an object lesson with Balaam. In other places, God uses angels. He uses our trials, illness, parables, prophets, his word, and even some of our choices to bring to light a person's heart attitude that may be out of line with who he is. Let me go out on a limb. Well, if we keep to the nautical theme, let me go out on a pier and say by chance, I would imagine that each one of us has an area in our life that may be a heart attitude that is not in line with who God is. Unfortunately, when our heart is out of step with who God is, that attitude usually gets exposed at some time, and it can be embarrassing. And that is exactly what happened to Jonah in chapter 4. Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel, and he was passionate about bringing the people of God back to God. By ethnicity and by position as a prophet of the one true God, you could say that he was proudly nationalistic. He did not like the Assyrians, the enemy, the ones that could potentially threaten Israel's existence. They were a cruel and barbaric people. Last week, I got the opportunity to listen to Pastor Bellis's sermon, and he talked about their cruelty and talked about how they skinned people alive and hung them up on the wall. Just between me and you, I think he's a little desensitive because of all the hunting he does. Um, just, it's good just to say it's cruel and barbaric. I'm, I'm a city guy, but I heard he's going out hunting tomorrow, so 
Hopefully, he gets to skin an elk. But as we've seen, the first time God calls Jonah to go to the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, Jonah says, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to go in the other direction. And after an encounter with a big fish, God says, let's try this one more time. Here's the message I want you to deliver to Nineveh. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And we read in the passage that it took three days just to walk through this great city of Nineveh. So I'm sure for the next maybe 40 days, Jonah walked through the city of Nineveh declaring that message. And then Jonah's greatest fear occurred that had made him flee the first time. And that was Nineveh believed him. And they repented. And they hoped that God would relent from destroying them. And we learn at the end of chapter 3 that's exactly what God did. God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction of Nineveh. And it is here where we see the attitude that is not in line with God exposed. We find this in the first three verses of Jonah. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. You see, Jonah knew God. He knew God was a merciful God. And in this... uh, quote that he has there that's underlined, he's actually referring to Exodus 34. And to set the stage there, it's where Moses, God has told Moses, create two new tablets so that I can write on them. Because Moses had shattered the previous tablets because when he came back, the people were worshiping idols. And if God was not a compassionate God. He could have destroyed them then. And so this is what Exodus 34 says. It says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord. And again, here's the same words. The God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Seven more times in Scripture these same words appear. Authors go back again and again to this same theme. And Jonah understood this, and yet he still wanted the Assyrians destroyed. His hate for them and his love for his countrymen almost demanded it in his mind. In fact, in his mind, It was either the Assyrians that had to die or he had to die. 
one or the other, no options. And he probably felt that way because he felt like if the Assyrians were not destroyed by God, that they would eventually come and destroy the nation of Israel. And he would rather die than see that happen. And thus, his heart attitude is exposed. And in many ways, it's a bit embarrassing. Embarrassing that he would take such a strong stance against who God is and believe that he had a right to claim that his anger was righteous and to hold on to it. Sometimes we want to hang on to our anger. Sometimes we see it as a righteous anger. Maybe it has to do with the same thing Jonah was upset about as it related to someone trying to destroy God's people. Maybe you're upset with those that are trying to keep Christian silence, specifically Christians in America. Maybe you're angry about something that happened in your life at some time previously or to your family. Maybe you're angry just like Jonah because the plans changed and you're not too happy about it. It's not working out the way you thought it was going to work out. And if you were honest about it, you're a little upset. Whatever the source of that anger, we are passionate about it. And it soon identifies who we are. And at some point, we lose sight or don't care anymore that it doesn't fit in line with who God is. And in such cases, just like Jonah, we need a heart change. We need a heart attitude that is changed. And if we hang on to that righteous anger, chances are, like Jonah, it'll get exposed and we will come across like a pouting child who didn't get their way. We can all relate to a pouting child, but we're a little bit embarrassed when an adult is pouting. Sometimes that embarrassment comes from not understanding God's mercy. Mercy is defined as compassion shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's an undeserving favor, and somehow we end up believing we have a market on it, that we deserve it more than the other person. I dare say that is one of the reasons the world can't stand the church, because it feels like we think we're better. We think we deserve it. We think that we're special. But in reality, we all need the compassion of God. And that is why Jonah, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? The implication is that Jonah should admit that this is an error and he should agree that he doesn't have a right. But that doesn't happen. But no one... No people deserve God's mercy, not even the Israelites. And in some ways, 
their judgment should have been greater than the Assyrians because the Israelites sinned against their God. The Assyrians never claimed that they served God. So what right did Jonah really have to be upset? And this is the whole point that is being made in the parable of the vineyard in Matthew. If you remember that parable, there's a vineyard owner that decides that he's going to go hire some laborers. So at the beginning of the day, he goes and hires them. They set a price that they'll work for. And during the day, he goes out and he hires some more. And he keeps hiring laborers even up to the last hour of the day. And at the end of the day, he goes before them and he pays them all the same amount, which immediately infuriates those that have been working all day long. They were upset, just like Jonah. It's not fair. So the landowner's response was, he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? We love it when God forgives us. We love it when God shows us mercy. Not so much our enemies. Before you get too upset with Jonah's attitude, who is it that you'd like God to judge and destroy? Maybe it's those that took down the Twin Towers. Maybe it's those that could start a nuclear war tomorrow. Maybe it's those that are pushing for a one world order. Maybe it's that individual that hurts you in the past. Often we are like Jonah. We have the head knowledge of who God is. We know what mercy is, but we hang on to things in our heart that aren't in line with that knowledge. We cry out, it's just not fair. We're just like those laborers in the parable. The truth is, it isn't fair. But thank God it isn't fair, because if it was fair, we would deserve death. We would deserve to be destroyed. No, not one is righteous. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve the same punishment. We all need mercy. Our labors don't make a difference between and before a holy God. It's not about fairness. It's about mercy. And maybe you're struggling saying, Dean, really? Even my enemy? Well, consider Romans 5.10. It says, while we were God's enemies, while we were yet God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. The bottom line is, if you are not willing for God to extend mercy to your enemy, why do you think he should extend mercy to you? 
It's embarrassing to be a recipient of God's mercy and not extend it to another. So to drive this home to Jonah and try to attempt to change his heart attitude and get it in line with God himself, God uses this great gourd as an object lesson. So let's pick it up in verse 5. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. It's probably close to day 40. He's been in the city. He goes out the city. He knows God is merciful. And yet he's still hoping that the city will be destroyed. He's still hoping that his prophetic words would be accomplished. He's probably sitting there waiting for the city to be consumed by fire. But the only heat that ends up happening is on Jonah's head. It says here, And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. There's actually a common shrub in Palestine that grows in the sandy soil that shoots up within days and has big leaves. And it doesn't last long because if there's anything that interferes with it, it immediately dies. It's interesting to consider that God sent a great fish to keep Jonah safe under the surface. And he sent a great gourd to keep Jonah safe from the sun above the surface. There's no height. There's no depth to God's mercy. Jonah was very happy. He was very grateful for it. It comforted him. But then God sends a worm. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Now, I know you probably think that Jonah's being a big crybaby here making it bigger than it really needs to be. But I actually agree with Jonah here. Now, I don't know if he understood what he was saying, but what he admitted, what he was really admitting was that without mercy, there's no reason to live. Because it's hell. Why would you want to live? I've always asked myself that question. What would life be without mercy? What would your life be without mercy? I don't know if it would be worth living. It goes on. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? 
Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly and it died? But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah was more upset, more concerned, more outraged about the fact that he lost one plant than these thousands and thousands of people. It's embarrassing how we care more about our own comfort than people. Makes me ponder that a little. If God took away the comforts in my life, it's not going to be a plant, but it could be my home, could be my finances. Makes me wonder how I would respond, whether I would care about other people that are lost, or whether I would just whine and complain. It's a good question to ponder in our lives. So what is God ultimately saying to Jonah in this object lesson with this great gourd? He is basically saying, Jonah, I showed you mercy by providing you a single plant that you didn't work for, you didn't labor, it'll be here today and gone tomorrow. How can I not show more compassion and mercy for thousands of lives that I created by the works of my hands that represent being around for ages. I wonder at this point if Jonah had a heart attitude change and came in line with who God is. I wonder if he stopped being, being embarrassing. The scripture is silent about his response doesn't say how he responded, but perhaps it represents Jonah finally having no further arguments. What about you? What about the anger that lingers within you? What about that attitude that's not in line with who God is? You know, God was merciful to Jonah even with the attitude that he had. Let's not make God use a big fish or a great gourd to get our attention. Let's not be an embarrassment. Let's line up with who God is. Let's make sure our attitude is in line with who our great God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it applies today just as much as it applied to Jonah thousands of years ago. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us if we have a heart attitude that needs changing. I pray that we would come in line with who you are. That we would represent Christ Jesus in our lives.
This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.